listening to audio from Oasis Church in Winter Haven, Florida. For more information about Oasis Church, please visit our website at www.oasischurchwh.org. And thanks so much for listening. Have your Bible. Turn to Philippians chapter number 1. We've been in this little study on four verses. Philippians chapter 1, verses 27, 28, 29, and 30. And we've been calling this little series, Synced. When I came across these few verses, of course, I preached through the book of Philippians uh, several years ago. Um, When I came to this little passage, oh, maybe about six months ago, it really just reached out and it grabbed me. Because right there, what we have in those little four verses is the writer, Paul, in prison, not sure if he's going to get out of prison, not sure if he's going to be able to see them again. He thinks he will. He hopes he will. Chances are great he might, but just in case he doesn't, he says, look, folks, here's what I want to hear is going on in that church that we planted right there in your city. Here's what I want to hear. And in those four verses, it gives us basically the biggest umbrella That if we will, as followers of Jesus, just allow our hearts and our minds and our motivations and our plans to be synced with the heart of God, we've got four verses right here that will keep us busy for the rest of our life as we wait on the return of Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that we ought not explore the other things that are in the scripture and that we ought not to dig in on all those other truths. But I'm just telling you, in these four verses are the biggest umbrella. And he says, if you'll focus on these things, if I make it to you, awesome. But if I don't, I just want to hear that these things are true. And we've used this little illustration of of how in our world, you you know, we we don't have a lot of wires and cords so much anymore to plug things in. We, We sync devices to each other through Bluetooth and Wi-Fi. And the whole idea is that we can be a follower of Jesus But if our hearts aren't synced with the will and the purpose of God, then we can be very valuable instruments that are not functioning as they were designed to function. So we've just been encouraging for these last few weeks the body of Jesus to be synced with the heart of God. And when we are synced with God's heart, we will be synced with each other we will find that we're going in the same direction so where we see division where we see those who are opposed to their brothers and sisters then you will find hearts that at least for the moment are not synced with the heart of their savior so we've just been encouraging one another to consider how synced we are with the God who saved us through the last few weeks we've looked at Philippians chapter 1 verse number 27 we've broken it down into a couple of parts it says only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ Paul says I want to hear that your hearts are synced with the gospel and that you are living not as citizens of the 
well, of the colony of Philippi, which was a Roman colony and, and enjoying Roman citizenship. He says, I don't, I don't want to hear that you are basking in who you are as Romans. I want to hear that you are living as a citizen of heaven. You know, he says that in this book, Philippians 3.20. He says, our citizenship is not of this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. He says, what I want to hear, whether I get to come to you or not, I want to hear that you're living a life like a citizen of heaven. And I want to hear that you're living a life worthy of the gospel. Doesn't mean that you have to be worthy of God's love. God loves you by his choice. You would never be worthy of God's love. No, it's grace, it's mercy, it's compassion. It's God looking at something unlovable and saying, I choose to love you. We could never be worthy of his love, but we can walk in harmony with his gospel, with the sacrifice of his gospel, with the love and the compassion, the mercy, the renewal of his gospel. We can live in harmony, not with just what it does for us, but what it can do for others. And the elements of the gospel, he wants our life to be lived as a citizen of heaven, demonstrating, reflecting those characteristics of the gospel that brought us from death to life that brought us from darkness to life. I want to hear that when folks encounter you, they realize that your first and foremost loyalty is to the place that you are primarily a citizen. And that is the heaven that is provided for you by the love of Jesus. And that your life is reflective of the one who gave himself in your place and for your sin synced with the gospel so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. I want to hear that you are a people with a heart synced to the gospel. And I want to hear that you are a body with a heart synced on mission. I want to hear that you are dug in like a soldier who's been given a hill not to give away, that your feet are dug in and you're not moving on who you are in Jesus. Now, we don't want to dig in on things that are, that are unimportant, on issues that are, are, are debatable and that will cause division. No, we want to dig in in what? Who I am in Jesus. I've been bought I've been, I've been redeemed. I've been forgiven. I'm not who I was. I'm who God says I am. And I'm what God says I can be for him. And dig in. He said not only that you're dug in on mission, but I want to hear that you are of one mind and spirit. That your passions are the same at its deepest level. Your passions are one mind and one heart, one spirit together. What is that passion? It's the gospel of Christ. It's the furtherance of the gospel in my life. It's the furtherance of the gospel in your life. And absolutely, it is the the presentation of the gospel to those who haven't heard. I want to hear that you're dug in on who you are. I want to hear that you're dug in on what God has set us apart to do. And the last thing I want to hear is that you are locked arms with one another. It was was funny. On Wednesday night, uh, we, we... 
we have student ministry in here, so we, we do a teaching time, and then they go into their small groups for about 30 minutes, and then we gather back out here to, what we do is we, I say, circle up. You'd be surprised how long it takes teenagers to circle up. I mean, just make a circle. That's just, it's funny to me. We'll get out here, and the candy's flowing, and let's, let's just circle up. We finally got circled, and normally we hold hands. I don't remember. Who, who was it? it? Are you in here that locked arms with me? It was, it was Jackson. Okay, so Jackson come alongside of me, and we were holding hands, and, and he slipped his arm in my arm so that we were standing right here. And you know what he said to me? He goes, I'm locked in. I went, that's a brother who's paying attention last Sunday. Paul says, I want to hear that you are, you are dug in. I want to hear that you are of one mind. We know who we are in Christ. We are not backing down. We have the same passion, the same motivation, and we are locking arms with one another. Red Rover, Red Rover, send whatever right over because we ain't breaking. We're striving. We're working. We're contending together. What did we say last week that most churches are noted for? Not striving together but strife between each other. Strife shows that our hearts aren't in sync with our Savior because if they were, we'd be in sync with each other. Locked arms, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What can stop us? Jesus has already addressed that when he said the gates of hell cannot stand against the truth of God's word in the hands of God's people, empowered by God's spirit, doing what God has called them to do because God's gonna win every time. Even when they mow us down, even when they shoot us in the back, we still win because when he says, get up, we get up because death has already been defeated. Make sense? Okay. What can slow our What can slow us down? What can stand in our way? What can trip us up faster than anything else in this world? He says it in verse number 28. I want to hear that you are living as citizens. I want to hear that you are striving together with one passion, with one mind, and not frightened, verse 28, in anything by your opponents let's just look at the first half of this verse for a little while and not frightened by anything from your opponents fear will stop us in our tracks faster than anything else I can think of when we are afraid we will look for a way out When fear grips our hearts, we'll make decisions that yesterday we might not have ever even considered because fear has enveloped us. Paul uses a word right here when he says, and not frightened. I want to hear that you're not frightened by anything. This word frightened, 
It's an interesting word because it's only used this one time in the New Testament. This is the only place that it's used. So it's, it's difficult sometimes when a word is used sparsely to really understand what it's talking about. So you have to look outside of the scripture to see how it is used in that Greek culture with that Greek language in other ways in order to understand what the word means in the New Testament because there's no other things to compare it to. So in the Greek literature outside of the scripture, this word frightened is used most often to describe a timid horse who is shy at some unsuspecting object. Any of you have ever ridden a horse before? Anyone have experience on horseback? I've got a story that I will tell you about horseback riding if in fact you want to hear it. It's a funny story and it ends up with me breaking my collarbone. But... If you've ever been around a horse that's skittish, you know what it feels like to be on top of them. You're already a little bit concerned unless you've grown up on the farm or on a, if you grew up riding horses, you're like, well, I ain't worried about that. You're only four foot off the ground, no big deal, but you're not most of the population. The rest of us horse riding populations, we've had some experience, but it's not an everyday deal. We're already a little bit on edge because of how enormous the animal is. Could kill us and run the world if they wanted to. They're like 2,000 pounds. So we're sitting a little bit nervous, but if they're skittish and nervous, then we get a little bit more excited. And if they hear a pop and they're jumping around, I mean, it just makes you want to get off real quick because you're like, this horse is nervous and you're making me a basket case. This word frightened means intimidated by, by any little thing that, that, that com, comes around. You, you know folks like this. You know, maybe there's one in your family who's just, we call them what? A scaredy cat. You know, because they're just scared of their own shadow. Paul says, I want to hear that you're dug in locked arms, ready to face in the promises that you have from God. And, and I want to also hear that you're not frightened by anything. And I want you to notice, Paul never said there's nothing out there to be afraid of. You realize Jesus never said that there's nothing out there in the world that you should be afraid of. There's nothing out there to be afraid of. Jesus never said that. Because Jesus knows us. He knows our inability, our, our limited uh, ability to know our surroundings. Jesus said there's, never said there's nothing to be afraid of. What did Jesus say? He said, fear not. Not don't, don't expect there to be nothing. Some of us walk around like there's nothing in the world. There's nothing to be frightened of in this world. You know what? That's tough guy syndrome. There's something out there in the world that'll scare you. I guarantee it. You, you might not have experienced it, but more likely you just aren't willing to share what has scared you. There are frightening things in our world. But Paul says, I want to hear that you're not intimidated by him. I want to hear that what you know about who you're synced with causes you to dig in lock arms and not let even though we may be shaking in our boots not to let it intimidate you away from what's what God has said and what God has called us to he said I want to hear that you're not intimidated by anything from your opponents this word opponents 
It's a, it's a verb form of a noun. And it, it, it's, it's literally translated ones who are lying against these opponents. What, are, what do opponents do? They set ambushes. Those that are, they want to keep you out of the city, so they set up these ambushes so that as you're coming toward the city, they jump out and they try to stop you. They're opponents. They're wanting to keep you out. Those who lie against. You think about all of the adversaries of the gospel throughout history. We talked a lot about them in the last series in the book of Galatians. We talked about those who, who, were, who were contrary to the gospel. In fact, this man, Paul, was one of them. He was one of the opponents of the gospel until God radically saved him on a road on his way to persecute Christians. Paul was one. There were others, Caesars, that came into power that wanted to stop and were doing anything possible to oppose this worship of this one Jesus who was crucified. There have been world leaders. There have been policies. There have been edicts and dictators who have stood in the way of the gospel. Paul says, I want to hear that you're not intimidated by the adversaries who are opposing you. When you think about this opposition, though, I want to plant a little seed that we'll get to in just a few minutes. Well, Paul is talking about those external opponents, those that we might meet in the way who would stand against us. Let your mind go back to Galatians 5 where that same author talked about an opposition within all of us. Flesh against spirit. The spirit of God and the flesh we live in are in opposition to one another. I'm just going to plant that seed in your mind just for a minute. I'm going to cover the dirt back over. But Paul is saying, I want to hear that the opponents that stand in the way of the progress of the gospel, I want to hear that you're not intimidated by them. First century church members faced much that would be frightening. Here are just four. They would potentially face loss because they were followers of Jesus and because of many areas in the Roman government that that was not okay, they ran the potential of having their stuff looted having their livelihood just simply taken away from they had the opportunity to suffer loss wives having their husbands just taken away from them and left to fend for themselves as an outsider what about imprisonment followers of Jesus throughout history have at times faced unjust imprisonment Simply by being a follower of Jesus and not being willing to recant that Jesus is the only God, that his death and resurrection is the only way of salvation, and that by faith you must receive him and him only. Many followers of Jesus have been placed in shackles. Do you realize that many, many, many followers of Jesus this very day are incarcerated because they are followers of Jesus? Paul never said there's nothing to be afraid of. He said, I want to hear that you're not intimidated by those who would oppose you, even with imprisonment, torture. 
Just read Fox's Book of Martyrs and it will give just a small snapshot of the, of the torture that Christians went through simply naming Christ as the only God. There's a, there's a Voice of the Martyrs website and magazine and books that have been written about torture that's happening even today in certain parts of the world. It's happening simply by being a follower of Jesus and possibly even ending in death. Dying for naming Christ as Savior. Most, according to, to, to uh, church legend, most of the disciples died horrific deaths. Save one, and that was John the Baptist. Or not John, but John the Apostle. And only because, if history is correct, only because the tortures they put him through did not take his life. So we have a record of those who suffered loss, imprisonment, torture, and even death. And yet Paul is saying, I want to hear that no matter what comes against you, that you are dug in, that you are of one mind, locked arms together, pressing forward for the faith of the gospel. Don't let fear stop you. What do we do to fear? We have to say no to fear. You go, That's, that sounds all well and fine. I'm not saying that you say no and the fear is gone. I'm saying you step forward into a truth more substantial than your fear. I'm saying you step forward quaking and shaking as a human being, but trusting and relying on what has been said and done for you. And guess what? By ourselves, you know what we'll do when fear comes to us? We will tuck tail and run. But when we're locked, when we're locked together in sync with the heart of God and locked in with each other, we might want to pull back, but we got a couple of folks on either side squeezing as they feel us try to pull away. And sometimes we might be the one who are squeezing on them when we feel them try to pull away because fear doesn't often hit us in the same way at the same time. When it's hitting me, I need a brother, I need a sister on my side holding me in line. They need me when they're facing fear, holding. But you see, we gotta be synced with the heart of God in order to be synced with each other in order to say no to fear when fear shows up and it will. Will fear show up, class? Yes, it will. You might not be facing it right now, but some of us are. Some of us are facing fears of multi-dimensions. If you're not, where you need to be is locked in on us so that we might hold that line. In our strength, nope. The strength and the power of the Holy Spirit given to us with the promise of absolute victory even when defeat feels like it has us by the throat. Paul faced constant opposition. I won't read these verses in Acts, but I'll tell you in Acts chapter number 14, 
verse number 19 and 20, the Bible tells us when he was in the region of Galatia that he got taken out of the city and beaten and left for dead. They thought Paul was dead. That's why they stopped the beating. They thought he was dead. When they left him there, he revived. And what did he do? He got up, he brushed himself off, and he said, somebody get me out of here. Wrong. The Bible says in verse 20 of Acts chapter 14 that he got up, And he and Barnabas left from that place and went on to the next place they were. I'm just telling you, if I got beat, like if I go out of the church today and a mob beats me up and leaves me for dead and I hear y'all screaming, what are you doing this for? And they said, because he's preaching the gospel. I just got to tell you, I'm thinking real hard on Monday about moving back to Georgia. I'm just telling you. I just fear a jump on you. Paul says, you got to say no to that fear because the promise of God is sure. The promise of God is guaranteed. The word of God says in Psalm chapter 23, verse number four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and you will, some of you are right now. The psalmist says, I will fear no evil, not because I'm tough, not because I'm big and bad, not because I can do what others can't do. No, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. That psalmist, when he wrote, had no idea about the Savior going into death and coming out alive. He had no idea of that, yet he says, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. You know what? We can fear no evil because the one who has not only walked through the shadow of death, he's walked headlong into death and come out victorious. If that's the one walking with us, we have no reason to not say no to fear when it comes along, even in the valley of the shadow of death, because your rod and your staff comfort me. I, I, Psalm 56, 3 and 4. I remember when I first came here, I remember we went to a, a kindergarten graduation, and, and Miss Carson, I knew this, I knew these verses. I had heard them before, but when Miss Carson had her, her K-5ers up here, and, and they say a lot of verses, and they, they quote a lot of verses through the alphabet. But there was one that their voices just, I mean, it was loud. And I had, I think, Wes come through that class and he learned that verse. And Cade come through that class and he learned that verse. And it's Psalm 56, 3. And it says, when I am afraid, I will trust in you. And I know that's not what it said, but she she get into King James. When I am afraid, I will trust in thee or I will trust in you. It's not, I won't ever be afraid. No, it's when I am and I'm going to be and you're going to be. What are we going to do? We're not going to trust in what we know about me. We're going to trust in what we know about him dug in locked in with the same mind and the same focus knowing that you might knock me down but the one who has been knocked down got up and because he got up I'm gonna get up so bring it on I'm gonna back down in God whose word I praise in God I trust I shall not be afraid 
what can flesh do to me? It can do a lot, but it cannot stop the work that God has started in us. So what do we do? We say no to fear and we press on. The second sentence of the verse, and not frightened in anything by your opponents in verse number 28, he goes on to say, this is a clear sign to them who? Your opponents of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. This little sentence actually continues the thought of verse number 27, where he says, I want to hear that you're standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together side by side, side by side for the faith, not intimidated because that is a clear sign. You have no business being victorious in the world that we live in. The world that we live in should eat your lunch. It is stacked against you in every way, intellectually, power-wise. It should take you and do away with you. Yet these 12 dudes with some folks that were also following Jesus took the command that Jesus said, now go into all the world and preach the gospel and baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and, and teach them to observe everything I've commanded you and I'm with you always to the end of the age. Those 12 dudes and some other folks took that to be serious and this world that should overpower us has never been able to stop the gospel it's been able to scare some individual christians to death it's been able to take some folks that have been redeemed by faith in jesus and put them on the bench but it has never been able to stop the movement of the gospel I shall not be afraid because when we are doing in sync what God has called us to do, it tells our enemies, whether they hear it or not, whether they buy it or not, whether they'll ever admit to it or not, God says, it's showing them that you own the victory because you're my family and I've already won the victory. That shows them that you are victorious and whether they believe it or hear it or understand it, they are seeing the sign of their own destruction even as they lay you down and think they take your life. They just don't know what's a coming. So stand in there, not intimidated, saying no to fear, knowing that that very action is communicating victory to those who think they have victory over you. It's basically live today in the confidence of tomorrow's victory. Live today in the confidence of tomorrow's victory. I've said it before, we don't face the opposition that most of the world faces as believers. But can I tell you, it is on us. It is currently here now. It's being censored. It's being called hate speech. The, 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 the thing is being set up for Christianity to be seen as a terrorist oppressive organization. 
that a, that a group of folks would say that somehow your eternal destiny depends on your attitude toward a guy who may or may not have even existed, the world is saying. It's coming, and we're facing new oppositions that believers in this country haven't faced before. And it could get worse. When it gets worse, what are we going to do? We're going to come back to Philippians 1, 27, 28, 29, 30. We're going to dig in. We're going to live as citizens of heaven. We're going to live lives that are in harmony with the gospel, locked arms with one mind and not intimidated. That's what we're going to do. But we got to be practicing that now so that when that time comes, we're ready. We don't want to have to be forming the line once it starts getting hot. We need to be practicing that now. So let me just ask you, how in harmony, when it's your choice to make, it's totally up to you. Are you living your life in harmony with the gospel? It's message its effects its elements are you reflecting the character of the gospel are you living primarily as a citizen of heaven dug in on who you are in christ locked in with your brothers and sisters making that evident by your commitment not to this church but to christ expressed in this body how is that in your life we need you to get in here to practice because when it gets hot and heavy, we need to be ready, and we can be. So I want to encourage you, in the face of opposition, say no to fear. But since we're not facing external opposition, there are some fears that I want to bring to our attention that we do face every single day. These are fears that are internal to me. These are fears that are philosophical within myself. In fact, I want to argue that in America, where we're not facing as much outside opposition, we are facing armies of inside opposition. You know what the name of my biggest opposing force is? Kevin. Spreading fear into my life. Let me name three of these fears that since I know I wrestle with, I think you probably are wrestling with. As free Americans, not facing external opposition, we think, Okay, when it shows up, I'll address fear. I want to argue there's fear to be addressed now. And it is standing in the way of us living our lives as citizens of heaven. It's standing in the way of us living lives that are reflective of the gospel. This fear within ourselves is standing in the way of us striving together, dug in, standing firm. Three of them. Number one, it's the fear of failure. The fear of failure is keeping us from being synced to the heart of God. It sounds at times like this. 
well, I'm not strong enough or I'm not really equipped enough to, to dig in. And I, what you're talking about, because here's what you're doing. You're dealing with this and you've been dealing with it probably for a long time. Because we'll preach God's word and we'll lay it out for you. Here's, here's what God expects for us. But the fear of failure says, as we're getting to the close, and I'm saying, look, God's wanting you to respond to him. We say in fear, well, I'm just not equipped enough to be able to do that. I guess I just really, my place is on the bench as an encourager. I know y'all are locked up in there, but I'll be back here. And if anybody falls, I'll get up. No, fear of failure. I'm just not strong enough. I'm not equipped enough. At times it sounds like I'm not old enough. Look, kids' connection goes from uh, babies to fifth grade. Once you get into sixth grade, we let kids come in here. You know why? Because they're dying to come in here and then they get in here and they go oh wait a minute there's no videos there's no snack time there's no game time oh man then they all want to go back if you're old enough to be in this room you're old enough to begin processing that you can be a follower of Jesus by faith and that God wants to use you as a sixth grader to reflect his purpose and his mission to those around you but sometimes we go, well, I'm just not old enough. And you know what else we say? Sometimes we say, well, I'm too old. Man, you know what that is? That's fear standing in the way of us living the lives that God has called us to, reflective of him. I'm too young. I'm too old. I'm not strong enough. Here's one. I hate this one. I had an individual look at me one time and look at me multiple times and say, well, I've failed before, so I just, you know, I really want to dig in. I really, I, you know, I really do want to live and pursue a, a relationship with God that's, uh, that's unfettered. It's just, it's just, you know, throwing caution to the wind. I just want to follow God, but I just, I failed before, so I just, you know, I'm just, I'm afraid to get back in there again because I failed before. You know what? You're in good company if you feel that way. Because we've all failed before and we've all felt like we can't get back in the game. You know what? Jesus died for every failure you and I will ever experience. And to say we can't step back into the game when the risen Savior has invited us is to say his sacrifice was not sufficient for my failure. And I know nobody's going to say that out loud. But the fear of failure stands in the way, and it's in here. It's not outside coming against, it's inside opposing. Not only the fear of failure, the second, the fear of rejection. The fear of rejection, it sounds like this. Well, I just don't feel like I fit in anywhere. You're saying, I, I don't want to get in here and try because I'm afraid I'll be rejected. You know, we're wired because of sin to be rejectors. I mean, what do we do? We get around folks and we start identifying things about them that we feel like are less than we are so that we will feel better about ourselves. You know why we do that? Because we're broken and we say, oh, I don't really feel like I fit in anywhere. I know, it's the fear of rejection. You're afraid that if you step in here and lock arms, you won't fit. Well, guess what? God said we fit. We have been uniquely, I can't even remember where it's at. It might be this book. We've been uniquely 
fit together as a building to represent the presence of God in this world. He's fit us together. He's put us together. So to say, I don't feel like I fit in. Well, you're saying, God, I'm just the oddball, so I guess I'll just have to sit over here and let them handle that. God said, no, I want you locked in because you fit. But the fear of rejection keeps us from engaging. Sometimes it sounds like, I don't think I bring anything worthwhile to the table. What you're saying is, is I'm afraid if I throw an idea out, some folks might not like it. And I don't want to be rejected. Can I tell you how many ideas that I have thrown out at the various leaders of this church in my tenure here? I've thrown out some whoppers out there, some ideas. And, and you know, and sometimes they've looked back at me and went, okay, you're going to do that. You're going to say that again. You're going to do what? Sometimes they've been ideas that, that they didn't understand and we moved on anyway. They, if they had said, well, I just don't feel like that I have anything to offer. You know what we wouldn't have? We wouldn't have this body that's moving forward right now. The fear of rejection says, well, yeah, I'll just sit back here and y'all do, I'll go along with me. And I'm like, no, that's the fear of rejection. What's God say? Dig in, stand firm, lock arms. Have that same mind and let it be the progress of the gospel. And don't let the fear of rejection. Sometimes the fear of rejection sounds like, but if I do that, if I go all in, what are all my friends going to say? Boy, you, you think this lives in middle school and high school? Uh, you just wait. You'll grow up and, and you'll find coworkers. You'll find colleagues, you'll find neighbors, you'll find family that, you know, you're just like, well, I don't know, if I do that, they'll think I'm crazy. The fear of rejection. What's going to do us more good? The posse we hang out with or the folks that we're locked arms? Hey, here's a novel thought. What if the posse we hang out with sees us locked in and dug in and begins to say, so what's that all about? Well, guess what we get to do? We get to say, oh, it's about who we are in Jesus. Do you know him? And all of a sudden, you're inviting folks to lock arms with us. Makes sense. But the fear of rejection will keep us at bay. We got to say no to the fear of rejection. We've got to say no to the fear of failure. And this last one, I'm telling you, it's going to get us all between the eyes. It is the fear of missing out. FOMO is its social media little abbreviation. Do you realize that FOMO, F-O-M-O, Fear of missing out. Do you realize that that is in the Merriam-Webster's Dictionary? I looked it up online last night. It's in the dictionary. FOMO. The fear of missing out is resident in us and it stands opposed to what God can and will and has called us to. Here's what it sounds like. Are you ready? The fear of missing out stands in our way and it sounds like this. I just have too much going on right now. We just have too much going on right now. We say, look, God has called us to dig in, be of one mind, lock arms and be, be in it at every level. I gave you some levels last week. I talked about, you know what? You, 
You can't grow here if you're not here. Okay, if you're just not here, then guess what? Okay, well, I don't know, but being here, pursuing our relationship with God, it, it, it's in our giving. You know, we, we can't use what's not in the plate, right? So, so what's that? Well, I've just got too much going on right now. What that is is the fear of missing out. It, it's saying... If I didn't have so much going on, I might be more apt to be dug in and locked in. The fear of missing out on my career and my advancement. Look, if God's given you an awesome job and he's promoting you, that's fantastic. But the fear of missing out will cause us to scratch and claw up that ladder because of what that position might afford us, because of what that income might present to us, and the fear of missing out or someone else passing me that don't deserve it as much as I do is the fear of missing out, and it's the standing in the way of us being locked in. Pull the toes back. It's going to get better. What about our kids' activities? You know what? We really would like to be, but we've just got so much going on. My kid's in this club. My kid plays this sport. My kid's involved in this extracurricular activity. Well, you know, if we don't, Kevin, if we don't do this, then my kid might not get the college scholarship that we've got to have in order to get where he's got to go. The fear of missing out. Well, I can't get in there. I can't really be, I can be locked arms with you like maybe, I don't know, 26, 27 times a year, but I can't do it because we've got so much going on because we don't want our kids to miss out on anything that they could have when at the same time, pull my hair out, we're keeping them from the very thing that God has called them to. Shame on us. When we put the fear of our kids missing out before the very thing that God can use for them. Shame on us. Shame on us for putting out entertainment. The fear of missing out on what we could be enjoying. We could be locked. Kevin, are you mad at us? No, I'm not mad at you. In fact... Chances are great some of you think that I'm talking to you. I'm not. But God very well may be. I don't want you to be committed to this place. This place is fallible. This place is going to make mistakes. This place is not the end-all, be-all church in the square mile that this church is sitting on. But if this is the body that you've put yourself in, I want you to be committed to Christ. And when you're committed to him, you know what we are? Dug in of the same mind, locked arms, bring it on. Make sense? Shame on us when we put hobbies, stuff. And what is it? It's fear. The fear, I don't have this, I'm going to miss out on this. 
if I don't do this, somebody else is going to enjoy it and I'm going to hear about it and I'm going to feel bad. I could have had that if I wasn't putting all of my eggs in the basket that God has called me to. Does that make sense? It hurts, don't it? Because here's what God doesn't want. God don't want an Americanized Christianity. God doesn't want us to, to include who we are in Christ in our pursuit of life, liberty, and happiness. God is not okay with, with his relationship to us being a part of the things we're pursuing as Americans. It's just not okay with him. He wants our full attention. And then he says things like, and all these things will be added unto you if you seek me first. And I, I oh, you, you, think, you think if you don't do this that your kid's going to miss out on something? Wait a minute, who's providing for your kid? I thought it was me, he says. I thought I was the one that was providing. So, get, hey, get them where they ought to be. But put yourself in line where you need to be. The fear of failure, the fear of rejection, the fear of missing out. It's, it's inside. It's not out the door. It's not going to be at your car with a gun or a knife or a crossbow. It's not going to be out there. It's in here, the fear that's opposing us. And what does Paul say? I want to hear that you're not intimidated by any opposition and that will be a sign of the victory that is yours and the destruction that is to come I think if we don't deal with the fear that we have inside we're going to have a real hard time dealing with the fear that comes from without and boy don't we want to be a church that stands when the opposition comes from without. Don't we want to be a place that folks can go, okay, they don't care that there's opposition. They're standing up and they don't care. Don't we want to be that? I don't think it's going to happen if we don't first deal with the fear that we have within us. How is fear intimidating you? from choosing to live as a citizen of heaven. How is fear keeping you from living as a citizen of heaven? When does fear keep you from digging your heels in to who you are in Jesus? Where does fear most often distract you from the mission of Jesus, which is the faith of the gospel? Why is fear keeping you from locking arms with your brothers and sisters in the pursuit of the mission of Jesus? What sign do you think Oasis Church is sending to our enemy about victory and defeat? Where is it at in your life? Steve, I want to have some cards made up. And I want him to say, having heard from God today, I believe he would have me respond by, let's, let's do about, I don't know, 500 of them. Just little ones that, that we can hand out. 
Because I want to give you a chance. That Really, at the end of the day, that's what we want. Having heard God's word, having heard from God, forget what I said. Just let that stuff roll right out the other side of your brain and that ear opposite the one that came in. But having heard from God, here's how I should respond. I'd like for us to have some of them. We're going to write it down. And then in the weeks to come, I'd like to have some testimonies from folks that said, you know, I heard from God, and this is what he said to do, and this is what I did. But today you can take a step in that direction by just being honest and going, okay, Lord, where's the fear inside? I think you know where it's at. I know where it's at in me. I'm just saying, God, I need, to, I need you to help me to say no to the fear. Failure, rejection, missing out so that I can be what you've called me to be not just for me but for us so that we might be what you want to hear we are does that make sense and that's a conversation between you and your Lord so let's talk to him Father we thank you for this day we thank you for your word We confess as a whole, fear has gripped us in so many different ways. And it's keeping us from being synced to your heart, being synced to your gospel, being synced to your mission, and it's keeping us from being synced with one another. We confess that as As American Christians, we want to include our Christianity to what we are as Americans. You've called us to be Christians, followers of Christ, in whatever context or country we might find ourselves. Seeking you first, the kingdom of God. And your righteousness, trusting you to add all of the other things according to your plan. God, we got to admit, it's, it's so ingrained in our thinking. We just don't know how to respond sometimes. So on behalf of the whole body, God, I just ask that you would just show us what's that step. What's that direction? What's that attitude? What's that decision that you want us to make in response to what you want for us? And then God, give us the courage to step out in obedience. Because when we do that, we'll be synced together in courage. Father, I want to pray for the one who may be here who's heard a lot about Jesus, but has never received Jesus as their Savior. God, we've lifted him up. We've displayed him as crucified and risen in our place and for our sin. I pray that right where they're at, at your drawing, at your pulling, they might respond simply by, God, I know I'm a sinner. That is plain and clear to me. And I believe you love me. 
I believe that Jesus died in my place for my sin. I believe that you raised him from the dead. I believe he's alive today. And I believe it's for me. I pray that you would save me and change me. Bring me into your family. Set me on a new path. I pray if there are those that need to receive Jesus today, that they might not go home without coming to one of us and saying, hey, I trusted Jesus. Can you show me more about this? And then God, may we all go home with a renewed desire to follow you at every turn, especially when it's our choice to make. We sing to your heart be used for your glory. We love you and thank you. Christ Jesus.